1: Monday to Friday, 7am to late 30am.
3: Early double. your hands.
4: Good morning and welcome to 3CR Radical Radio. You're here on Monday Breakfast with Grace, Rob and myself, James, after a beautiful long weekend. How was your long weekend,
5: Rob? Really, really good. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, just you know 3 days of enjoying the sun and enjoying the grand final yeah how was your weekend james i was pretty pretty much similar
4: i i i every every spring i forget how nice it is when the weather gets hot mm. every every weekend every time yeah but the grand final was great the nrl grand final was great as well yep. had a lot of good times great classic hits <laughs>
6: how about you grace Hi everyone, sorry. Um, right. Having a bit of a cold today. Oh no. oh no. So my voice seems a bit different. But yeah, um, I was resting pretty much the weekend because I wasn't feeling too well. Mm. Um, had a bit of yeah, sickness and, and everything. Yeah. I feel like because the, of the weather change, it keeps getting yeah. me yeah. cough and flus. So
4: yeah. Mm. It always does that, doesn't it? When the weather changes, my body goes nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it is. Yeah. It must yeah. be the pollen or something. You know,
6: yeah, I'm not yes. sure why. Yeah. yeah. Happens to me all the time. That's
4: all good. So we've got a we've got a pretty big show for you today. We've got a number of things going on. Um, we've got Grace. You have an interview with Isabel Reynick, the founder of Grata Fund. That'll be great.
6: Yeah, we're going to be speaking to her about her newly released book called "Cotting Power. So it's going to be talking about democracy, law, and public interest in Australia. Ooh, and yeah. she wrote this book because it, she thought it's timely in this t- point of time on why we need to... F- rely on the law when it comes to holding people accountable in Australia. So yeah, looking forward to that.
4: That's spicy. That's going to be big. That's spicy.
6: Then after that, we're going
4: to play an excerpt from the, uh, no seismic blasting rally that the extinction rebellion held in the Otway basin on the 15th of September, which I was listening to it before. And it gives me a little bit of hope hearing these people at this rally talking about how angry they are. Mm. They're out there doing something. And just to hear the sounds of a rally of a protest, Yep. Through your headphones, it just makes me happy. <laughs> so we're going to hear from that, and then Rob, we've got a we've got an excerpt on the housing plan.
5: Yeah, so last week I I spoke with uh, Harry from the Renters and Housing Union. Um, now that sort of the housing the housing plan from Victorian Labor has come out, and we've had some time to like let the dust settle, and we've you know had time to really like comb through it and see what it means potentially for the state um anyway we sat down and really got into it awesome housing's big Mm. it's a
4: big one and it affects all of us (laughs) because we all live in houses yeah um so i'm looking forward to that Mm. Uh, we'll jump to a few headlines Mm. um i'll go first uh it looks like inflation is on, on an uptick so, to The Guardian, uh, inflation uptick increases risk of another RBA interest rate rise, economists say. So, Australia's inflation rate apparently has picked up again, increasing the risk that households will need to endure yet another rate rise before Christmas. Most traders and economists expect the Reserve Bank Board will keep the official cash rate steady at 4.1% when they gather on Tuesday, but that, that outcome is not set in stone, and the meeting has the potential to surprise So in the first rates meeting under new governor Michelle Bullock, the RBA will weigh the competing forces of a rising inflation rate well outside its comfort zone and a string of emerging risks, including a faltering economy in China, Australia's largest trading partner. So just be mindful. It might go up again. (laughs) That's not good. No, No. No. Stay down.
5: All right, I'll go. Uh, residents and holidaymakers evacuated communities across Gippsland on Sunday as multiple fires burnt in the region. Hundreds of firefighters battled both bushfires and grass fires in Loxport, Culloden, Monapa, Kobanat, and Briagalong through Sunday. Conditions were expected to ease overnight, but Tuesday could bring reprieve with developing rain. The rain is thought to last through to Thursday, potentially even bringing snowfall, which is very good news for a region which has faced dry conditions. Hey, snowfall. Can yeah. you believe it? Something like um, a month's worth of rain was oh. expected to happen.
6: So. Well, the weather has been really warm, so I guess that's a good thing, but mm. too much rain is also not good as well. So, And apparently there not apparently. According to the ABC, there's a disease called trachoma, which has apparently already been eliminated, eliminated everywhere else in the world. But Australia is currently the only high-income earning nation where trachoma is still a problem, according to an expert. And this has been stealing the sight of some indigenous people in the remote Australia. A combination of substandard housing and dusty conditions have been known to contributing to the spread of childhood eye infections, with a type of bacteria circulating in some communities. Over time, this leads to scarring and eventually eyelids will turn inwards, which rubs on the cornea and by midlife this would lead to blindness. There have been federal plans to tackle this issue and they came and went, but trachoma is still a major problem. According to Nick Wilson, a trachoma trachoma program manager at the University of Melbourne said that they knew the system wasn't working and they weren't responsive enough to the they weren't responsive to First Nations Australians so yeah and in in 2011 members of the University's Indigenous Eye Health Unit they did something simple and that was to consult with the Indigenous community it was extensive and they held interviews with more than 280 eye care workers in 21 locations and they also organised focus groups with more than 80 indigenous communities members in both urban and rural locations. And they send draft recommendations to dozens of stakeholder groups for input. But at the moment, it's still a problem that hasn't exactly been solved yet, basically.
2: Mm.
4: Wow. Gosh. Sometimes news headlines are scary. Yeah. Uh, I've got one more. Um, Australian house prices are on track to hit a new record high uh, latest property data shows. So, they're on track to hit a new record high despite a gradual increase in properties for sale and the pressure of higher interest rates. logics housing data showed prices rose by 0.8% in September, led by Adelaide, Brisbane, and Perth, where housing supply remains about 40% below the five-year average. So, I'm looking forward to your housing plan, Rob. Because, mm. oh boy. I don't
5: know if I have a
4: housing plan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there will never be one. Mm. Yeah, there we go. So we'll start with the uh, the excerpt from the Extinction Rebellion rally that was held on mm. the 15th of September, And then we'll jump into a, a few lovely songs.
1: Well, we're Extinction Rebellion with the allies from the coast. My name's Kat. And I'm, I'm here because basically we're, we're we're pretty enraged. We're enraged that... You know, this late, in this planet-saving game, we are here, we have to be here to talk about looking for more gas when it's plain that our future depends on not using any of that gas. So this goes from being really a bloody mad thing to a really bad thing when looking for that gas is completely damaging and devastating to all marine life from the tiniest zooplankton plankton to, the, to the mightiest whale. There is absolutely no reason at this stage in our planet saving game. We're, the oceans are already boiling for us to be looking for something that is going to kill us. So that's why we're here. And we're here, despite the rage, we're also here with some hope because of um, the uh, the resistance that is, that is being shown by the coastal communities. We have um, people from the coastal communities here, both um, Gunditjmara coming, uh, who are going to meet us halfway uh, along the road and the people from uh, Warrnambool and the Otways through the Ocean Collective. Okay, I'll pass you over to our MC, who is Helen.
7: Thank you for being here today. This is a really important issue. Um, but first, before we go any further, I'm gonna to ask Tony, TG, to come and to do the acknowledgement
8: of country. I'd like to acknowledge that we're meeting, gathering, on the land of the Wurundjeri people. We pay tribute to the elders past, present and those that will earn that great honour in the future. We're meeting on stolen land, land that was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. They, we can learn so much from them, the way they nurtured their land and their communities before it was stolen from them. And if it, that ancient wisdom is what is going to be a big help in us as we face up to the climate crisis. We can't have, hope to have justice, climate justice, until we have justice for our First Nations brothers and sisters. Yep, that's it.
7: Thank you so much, Tony. We're here in support of the Southern Ocean Protection Embassy Collective, SOPEC, Ocean, the Otway Climate Emergency Action Network, First Nations people and allies in their fight to protect sacred sea country. Um, we're here today, which is day one of three days of worldwide action under the umbrella of global fight to end fossil fuels. And we're here to protest against a dangerous proposal to conduct seismic surveys in the Otway Basin. That continuous bombardment, if it goes ahead, is incredibly damaging, disruptive and dest- destructive, And as Kat has said, I mean, it's for absolutely no sound reason to be prospecting for for fossil fuels in a time of, uh, of climate emergency is beyond comprehension. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, we are going to the State Library, but first we're going past... The officers of NOPSEMA. Now, NOPSEMA is the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environment Management Authority. It's in William Street, and so we're going to stop on the way there, because NOPSEMA is the agency that will make the decision on behalf of the federal government as to whether or not this proposed proposal to. Seismic blasts, this vast amount of of ocean will go ahead.
2: Stop Stop seismic blasting!
7: Stop seismic blasting! Stop seismic
2: blasting! Stop seismic blasting! No more gas. No more oil. Keep the carbon in the
9: soil. No more gas. No more oil. Keep the carbon in the soil. No more gas. No more oil. Keep the carbon in the soil. democracy looks like show me what democracy looks like show me what democracy looks like what, looks
2: like.
9: what, looks like. what looks like. When our plan is under attack what do we doing?
0: function. I think they're up there on the 25th floor. There you go. They're up there and uh, they are the National Offshore Petroleum Safety and Environment Management Authority. And And they're appointed by the Federal Government (laughs) (laughs) to regulate all the gas and oil exploration and processing that goes on offshore from Australia. Until 2012, they were actually called NOPSA. They were the National Offshore Petroleum Safety Authority and the Gillard government of the time decided to shift the environmental protection of our ocean over to a health and safety organisation called NOPSA and there they became NOPSEMA
2: That's
0: bonkers So it took it out of the hands of the Environment Minister and put our environment in the hands of the Resources Minister as you do That'll work, that's bonkers, Tony. (laughs) And then by 2014, there was another hiccup, the EPBC Act, which is the Environment Protection Biodiversity Act. And there's a clause in there, the precautionary clause, where if you don't know how much harm you are going to impose, on the environment, then you take a precautionary principle and you don't do it. Which is the case for seismic blasting. We know it harms, but we don't know to what degree it does. So they made another alteration to expedite um, approvals and to incentivize more gas and oil exploration. They allowed FEMA,
1: to develop
0: a principle called the LR as low as reasonably practical which is just a joke so any creature that comes under the EPBC Act and if they are in the offshore environment and they could be impacted by the gas and oil industry they come under the LR which means there's a bit of a measurement. If it costs a real lot to avoid that possible damage, you don't have to do it. It's actually weighed up against the value of how much it's going to cost that gas and oil company, that exploration company. So it is, it's just to streamline and incentivize the gas and oil industry. But before we march on, I want to tell you who I think the real bad guys are. SEMA are working within policy, they're working within the rules. There's actually some good people in this mob. It's NOPTA, the National Offshore Titles Administrator that comes under Madeline King, under the resources industry and research. They are the ones that are releasing these titles, allowing these permits. They are loading the gun and firing it and not SEMA are actually trying to deal with the fallout. So we've got to make it known that we're not happy about seismic blasting. This has to change at a political level as well. I think that's all I've got to tell you. Um, Yeah, that'll do. Thank you.
7: Thank you so much, Lisa. And now I'd like to ask Tony to come back up
8: and to say a few more words.
7: Tony Gleason.
8: Thanks, Ellen and Lisa. Right, so it's yet another attack on democracy in Australia. These, I think they were, correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, but there were thousands of submissions went 30, in. 30,000. So we'll see uh, just exactly how much of a control the fossil fuel psychopaths have on Nopsema when they make their decision, which is imminent. It's so good to see so many people here today, and I reckon we've probably got four, four different generations. And if you look back through history, that that is really rare for that to happen. It's something we've got to build on, all right? We all share the atmosphere, and we've got to share it. Up. We've got to look after it together. And it's going to take some looking after because the fossil fuel psychopaths aren't used to being told no. They, they knew 50, at least 50 years ago, the damage that they would cause if they continued to ply their toxic products, right? They had a choice then to stop doing that and to transition. They chose not to. They bought scientists, to, say, to create doubt and left a lot of people thinking that there was a debate around this, right? But the science is screaming out to us right now, to all of us, that all fossil fuels have got to stay in the ground. So why the hell would would we use a destructive method to try and find if we've got gas, when we can't use it? Right, on this, There are two, we have every single thing we need. Two things are lacking. One is political will, right? Our politicians have to be be told that it's not okay for them to continue to approve fossil fuel projects. So it's the political will is lacking. The second thing is the number of people who are prepared to stand up to change that, that political will. And that is what today is all about, and we'll be doing it next week, probably, and continue to do it until sanity prevails. Because right now, we've got a bunch of psychopaths who are leading us over a cliff, and it doesn't have to be like that.
4: That was an excerpt from the Extinction Rebellion rally in support of no seismic blasting in the Otway Basin. The event was held on Monday, the 15th of September.
10: The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates, and distributes the key lessons and resources. Movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter.
11: Y'all out there, let's join the National Day of Action to stop black deaths in custody. 1pm Saturday the 7th of October at the State Library of Victoria. We need to implement the recommendations from the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody now.
0: You say you respect country and you believe in black justice, then you turn up. Because we have an opportunity on the 7th of October to push this government to implement recommendations that will keep our people alive.
11: For more information, go to blacksovereignmovement.com. That's b l a k sovereignmovement.com.
4: Black Sovereign
11: Movement is a 3CR supporter.
12: If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300-1300 triple one 500 that's 1 300 triple one 500 wellway supports 3cr
4: you're on 855 am 3cr monday breakfast with james rob and grace we're going to take a little minute to talk about the elephant in the room after the weekend which is the grand final and collingwood mm. winning
2: mm-hmm.
4: now as a station based in collingwood that's a difficult thing when Collingwood wins because <laughs> everyone gets a little bit silly and the Collingwood fans come out and they they let us know that they won. Yep. Um, but on the whole, it was a fantastic day, a fantastic grand final. A few contentious umpire calls at the end of the
5: game, but, mm. but we,
4: won't, we won't speculate too hard on that. Mm. Grace and Rob, did you watch the grand final?
5: I was uh, lucky enough to attend my first ever... Grand Final Party. Oh, um, as as an English immigrant, I can honestly say I've never watched a full AFL game in my life. Well, so this was this was a good one to get into. So that's interesting. That was very interesting. Um, how did you find it? I loved it. It was really good energy. Yeah. Um, I was thinking a lot about you know the community that is involved in sport and how it's, especially events like this. Having a long weekend is a lot about community and just. Getting some friends together, like getting your family together, whatever it is, and just having a good time. That's the beauty of it. Um, but uh, as as you were saying before, as one of the people at the party was uh, an AFL umpire. Oh, really? So <laughs> she was, you know, like uh, whenever the referee would, yeah, referee. Um, would make a call that, you know, they were all in there being like, no, like, I wouldn't have done that. And it was Whoa. very interesting, very interesting now, to see. Now that's hot inside. <laughs> it's pretty hot inside. What about you, Grace?
6: Well, I'm, unfortunately not, I'm not a sports person. So, <laughs> and considering I was sick. So that's one of the reasons why I just stayed in, mm. in at home during the weekend, although I know it's yeah. such an important day. But, yeah. Mm. I definitely do know, like, the results and everything because I could see everyone everywhere yeah. with all the scarves mm. and all the yeah. <clears throat> the hats and everything. So um definitely could tell who is the most favourite one here yeah. around in Melbourne. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I could tell just from, like, the people around that, like, that it's a very important event and mm. I hope I can watch it um, in the future. I'll probably just watch, like the the ones on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> considering how I didn't yeah. get to see it live, so yeah. Just a few
4: highlights from the day. Mm. The stadium, MCG, was at capacity, totally packed, one hundred thousand and twenty-four seats oh my God. officially. <laughs> wow. Now there are rumours that there are a lot more people in there than that. Yeah, because there are the standing areas where they just throw everyone who doesn't have a seat. Mm. And apparently. It might have been more than 100,024. Wow. So that is phenomenal. Jeez. There's a there's a strange thing going on like post-COVID where everyone has kind of rediscovered their love of football because yeah. mm. COVID was such a trying time and you couldn't go to the games and you watched it on TV and there was no crowd noise because there was no crowd. Yeah. And it was just a weird time for football and sport in general. And now this is probably the first season back where it's been properly non-COVID restricted. Mm. And the crowd capacity has been the biggest ever. Uh, there's more people attended a game this year, and more people watched football games than in history.
5: Mm. I don't know the exact numbers, but yeah. it's a lot of people. As you know, like you also host the the sporting record, James. Mm. Do you have you noticed a difference in kind of the demographic of the crowd since COVID? Oh, that's a good question. I think.
4: There, I think this is in, due, in line with the rise of AFLW as well. Mm. There are a lot of people who used to feel excluded from mm. the men's game mm. who are now getting more involved than ever. Mm. So I play in the Pub Football League, which is an all-gender football competition, mm-hmm. and that's a place where people who've always felt excluded from the binary systems of sport, you know, mm. men and women, and they come to pub footy, And all of a sudden, they can be exactly who they want to be and play sport in a really safe way Mm. and get that community. And Mm. I got involved with that this year. And I'm seeing so many people who have always kind of loved football, Mm. but never allowed themselves to get into it, to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. And now they're really getting into it. There's a there's a climate of acceptance and diversity that's really going. Wow. And that's that's not to say that the men's competition is perfect. It's far from that. There's a lot mm. of work that still needs to be done. But I think on that point, more and more people are feeling drawn to sport Yeah. for that community aspect you talked about. Mm. My favorite thing about the grand final day is me and a bunch of my friends all get together and put the TV on and then just eat party pies and stuff. And talk. (laughs) And then, oh, my God, something happened in the football. And then we talk again. You know, it's beautiful.
2: Mm.
6: Yeah, I think one thing about having a passion and love for something is a great way to get the community together. And it shouldn't be something that hinders Mm. judgment and... uh, Sorry, it it shouldn't be hindering people from looking and loving and enjoying what they want to Mm. enjoy and play for. So, yeah, I guess... Mm. That's the love. That's the beautiful thing about sports. Yeah. Yeah. And to top it all off, it was a
4: fantastic grand final. Mm.
6: So Collingwood
4: Mm. won by four points. It was a genuine nail biter. And we haven't had a good grand final like that in five years. Oh. You know, 2018, Collingwood was in that and lost by a goal uh, right near the end of the game. You know, it was a classic. Mm. Dom Sheed from the boundary. Um, And. It, it's always a bit anticlimactic when, like, last year, Geelong beat Sydney by, you know, 80 points or something. And yep. it's like, well, stuff is. <laughs> I'm here to watch a good game. So yep. we got the good game. Collingwood wins. The city lights up when one of the big big four clubs, Collingwood, Carlton, Essendon, mm. or Richmond, win mm. in a way that, you know, is quite unparalleled mm. by other sports. Maybe the, the World Cup pips it. Because that was an Australia-wide thing. You yeah. know, the Matilda's going really well. Mm. But, yeah, that's that's sport. The community gets up and about. The community gets excited. Yeah. And you'll see Collingwood flags for the next month hanging out of cars mm. and people wearing them. And-
5: <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially, like, you know, social media. I feel like I can't... It's like every five seconds or something you see someone posting something about Collingwood. Or, yeah. It's... It's everywhere. Flag
4: pies. Yep. The Collingwood flag pies. <laughs> and I just want to send my condolences out to Brisbane. <coughs> Brisbane had a tough weekend. Um, they lost
2: the
4: uh, AFL grand final and they lost the NRL grand final. Oh. So poor old Brisbane had a tough weekend. Mm. So anyone from Brisbane out there, we're thinking of you. <laughs> that yep. was tough. The, the, the Brisbane in the AFL lost by four points. In the NRL, mm. they lost by two points. Wow So you know That's not good That's a lot of heartbreak For one yep. weekend
5: Yeah.
4: So thanks for that chat everybody That was, yeah, good. It was good Had to get that off my chest yep. <laughs> So we're going to go to a song now This is Bones and Jones With Donna And it's, it's quite upbeat So get that in your
5: Monday morning Sweet
11: there, let's join the National Day of Action to Stop Black Deaths in Custody, 1pm Saturday the 7th of October at the State Library of Victoria. We need to implement the recommendations from the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody now.
9: You
0: say you respect country and you believe in black justice, then you turn up. Because we have an opportunity on the seventh of October to push this government to implement recommendations that will keep our people alive.
11: For more information, go to blacksovereignmovement.com. That's B L A K sovereignmovement.com.
4: And fight Black Sovereign
11: Movement is a 3CR
4: supporter. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere
0: and share the station with your friends.
4: So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps.
5: Welcome back to 3CR's Monday Breakfast, 8.55am. That was Donna by Bones and Jones just before those ads there. Um, Now we are going to move to hear my interview with Harry Millward, who is a delegate from the Renters and Housing Union. Um, We spoke last week to talk about Victorian government's housing plan that they released recently. Um, Just before we get into it, I should say that I am also a member of the Renters and Housing Union. Um, Anyway, let's get into it. I guess first up, just a general question, now that we've had time to kind of comb through the plan in its entirety. What are your thoughts on the housing plan?
13: So the housing plan, as proposed, is a mixed bag. It does have some good parts of it, some improvements, some progress. It's, on the whole, it's not a good plan. Taken in pieces, parts of it are good and uh, we would support them. But there's, there's, there's too many questions that have gone unanswered and there's too many undefined terms or, or very vaguely defined terms. Um and it doesn't go far enough in in some places, uh, and it's far too developer friendly in others. It's ignoring the reasons we got to this point, it's it's a band-aid rather than <laughs> trying to actually sort out the the issues at the root of the issue, which is Uh, this sort of neoliberal approach to housing where your ability to live and to have a house is based on your productivity, how much you earn, um, what use you are to the economy, rather than just by nature of being a human being.
5: Yeah, you're talking a little bit about definitions before. Can we just go more into that?
13: So a word that comes up a, a A lot is social housing right now social housing is an umbrella term that uh means quite a few things so social housing can mean public housing social housing can mean community housing social housing can mean um aboriginal uh housing and social housing can mean state-run aboriginal housing now and then you've got something that's related but not the same which is affordable housing Yep. Now, how these terms are defined uh, as far as public housing is is quite well defined. Public housing costs uh, a, a tenant 25% of their income, whatever that income is, generally long-term tenure, so people can live there in their entire lives, uh, can go generations, have their families there and, you know, have, have certain protections, whereas when we're talking about community housing, community housing is... often, possibly more, uh, depending on whichever community housing provider you get. They're run by non-for-profit groups and businesses. And so what it actually means to have community housing may differ uh, depending on which provider you're getting. And it's not the same across the board. Now, when we're talking about affordable housing, I, I I asked directly for a definition of affordable housing um, and it's legislated to be the most vague of terms. What What is affordable housing? I don't know. Does it mean that you can afford it? No, but it might. It's not necessarily connected to your income so that if you're a low income person that it would be different to if you're a high income person. It's very hard to support a plan when you don't even know that the definitions of the terms, sorry, I know the definition. What I don't know is how they will interpret that definition. Yeah. And uh, these are, you know, used as a way to to feed money to private developers um, to fill these spaces. And they aren't necessarily even affordable. They aren't necessarily even affordable for the area they're in. You can you can say affordable till you're blue in the face, but it doesn't mean what I would assume that most people would understand it to mean.
5: Right. So, do you think they've maybe intentionally or not included vague wording or vague definitions uh, to sort of get absolutely. around? Absolutely.
13: Oh, absolutely. It's it's we- weasel words all the way down. If if you're talking to someone who is using the term social housing to distract from the idea that you're turning places that were formerly 100% public housing into a mix of like public housing with community housing and some private housing and some affordable housing. You know, they might say, oh, the number of social housing will remain the same, the same number. But what does that mean? Does that mean the same number of public housing? Does it mean that the, the proportions have shifted? to more towards community housing, which as a general rule is uh offers less protections and is less affordable than public housing. So it's 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 very much seems to be a way of avoiding accountability for the actual legislation or actual planning they're doing part of uh, what we were doing uh, recently, supporting Barrack Beacon in conjunction with a lot of other groups. So the Renters and Housing in happily works with other groups. Um, We fought alongside communist groups, socialist groups, uh, political parties like the Greens uh, were there as well with us and uh, just interested parties, the public housing tenants themselves. And the discussion always sort of, was a distraction when it came to speaking to the government because they would always insist that no we're not removing social housing, but they are removing the much of the public aspect of it they're turning parts of it into uh, community housing
5: yeah, okay, and I guess that gives them a license to do whatever they want yeah,
13: I mean they can promise certain things uh, I believe the the name of the tower or the uh, name of the public housing estate state is going to escape me at this very moment, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll promise that these tenants who have their community there, uh, will be able to move back in within two years, say, and then, you know, five years later, and they're still not even started construction. Mm. So, you know, it, there's a lot of faith being asked of a, of a government that hasn't, uh, hasn't done much to earn that faith, I would say.
5: Yeah, sure. Probably one of the uh, most scariest parts of the plan to me was the fact that, you know, they're knocking down all of, all of the state's public housing towers, right? So what, yes. what happens to the residents while, you know, the houses well, are being that's, replaced?
13: Yeah, no, that's a tricky thing because they have to go somewhere They So either well, not either. They are going somewhere that would could otherwise be taken up by someone else um, who has the, those same needs. We've got a waiting list for public housing that is, uh, for some people, hitting a decade, right? So the idea that all of a sudden you've got all of these people who are already settled then taking up their spaces is pretty mad to me. Um And the government has stated that the condition that the public housing towers are in would make them impossible to bring up to standard, which is kind of a self-owned that they haven't been doing their job and keeping up with maintenance. But also, I mean, if it's true, I haven't seen any evidence of it. I have asked them. They, They have stated to me that, um, keep getting these towers up to scratch would be impossible because of how they were constructed. I asked for evidence to that effect. Um, they said they could get it to me, and that was a while ago now, and none has been provided. Uh, so I can only, uh, without that information, I can only assume that the the advocates to keep these public houses are correct, that they could be retrofitted to... Uh, be raised to standard, um, and until I see that evidence uh, that Dem demonstrably says otherwise, I, I have to assume that they are just using that as an excuse to reduce the responsibilities in the housing sector, which seems to be what this is all about, the the slow decline of, uh, of public land for public good um, into yeah. a neoliberal nightmare where uh, you know what isn't privatized now? Like electricity was privatized, public transport was privatized, housing is being privatized. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, and it's not working out like the uh, these neoliberal goals all say that it will—that it will create competition, that it will bring out the best. Because that's just human needs are not a profitable market. Um, if they are, it's. It's in a very inhumane way uh, that is unacceptable. I assume to uh, most people in this country. So, yeah, um, yes, I, I am, um, I'm very concerned about the plan to tear down the the public towers. Sure. And do you think?
5: Obviously, it's it's pretty egregious that knocking down these houses in the first place is is a solution. But do you think that? the buildings that they're being replaced with have any kind of hope of, you know, like shortening this waiting list of people looking for public housing?
13: Um, does it have any hope? Well, the vagaries of, of this plan, and and this is just a plan. This is not legislated. So I can't say it's impossible. Um, it certain, certainly seems unlikely and it, doesn't seem as though their intention is to uh, put the the house, the needs of those public housing tenants uh, front of mind um, so I would call it a leap of faith and not one that I would be willing to jump.
4: We know you love listening to 3CR. But we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets
0: you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends.
4: So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps.
2: That
5: was part one of my interview with Harry Millward, a delegate of the Renters and Housing Union, and we were talking about Victoria Labour's recent housing plan. Um, We're just going to play a song real quick, and then we'll move on to part two.
9: The love.
6: Vibe Union is bringing exciting, ongoing showcases of local talent across Melbourne. This creative collective provides a supportive platform to upcoming artists, hosting poetry open mic nights, intimate singer-songwriter evenings, and hip-hop showcases. Head along to one of their events for a welcoming night of creativity. Or see how you can get involved at vibeunion.com.au. Vibe Union is a 3CR supporter.
5: Welcome back to Monday Breakfast on 3CR. That was Sunflower by Squid Nebula that you heard just before that ad there. Uh, now we're going to m- listen to the second part of my interview with Harry, Harry Millward of the Renters and Housing Union. He's a delegate there. Um, let's get into it. let's move on to talk about you know the kind of attitude of just simply building more houses to fix mm-hmm. the state's yeah this um... is
13: this is an interesting one um it's it's often cited by the government that the the, the way out of the housing crisis is more stock is completely incorrect uh you can build uh 10,000 luxury apartments that no one can afford and that doesn't actually help anybody so the type of housing that we're building is vitally important. We have the housing infrastructure right now to, if not end, at least reduce the housing crisis to a much more manageable state. A lot of it is uh, tied up in Airbnb or short, short stay accommodation um, of whatever brand uh, you might see. Uh, the waiting list for housing, the people on the waiting list um, is half as the amount of stock we have in short stay accommodation so we have twice as much stock in short stay accommodation as we do people who are on the waiting list for homes now uh, i i don't i don't know how anyone could not find these numbers sort of shocking um, and that's that's both in victoria and australia wide um well yeah so sorry i've I've lost the question it's
5: okay I was just asking you about the um attitude of simply building more houses to fix oh, the state's yes, housing
13: sorry. crisis um yes yeah so you, you say you build a lot of houses into the private market and then those uh, new owners decide to put it into the short stay accommodation uh just making the issue worse they could make more money um but there's the the what is motivating this new housing build? If it is not the human need, then it is the greed, and then we, we we're not fixing anything. What we need is a lot more medium uh, medium density building. We need it to be across the state, across the country. Um, we need far more public housing that will not just push all those in the most vital of need into public housing, but have it as a wider community for all of those who want to live in public housing. Um, So the, the the attitude of just build more out out of context is, is completely false. Uh, and we can see it because we have the stock that's that's being misused. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a lot of public housing that is being misused. So it, the attitude of the government, uh, as far as I can tell from an outsider, seems to be that of trying to avoid responsibility at all costs.
5: Yeah, okay. Further, further to that, I mean, you're talking about short-stay accommodation and Airbnbs in general. Is there anything... Sure. In the plan, I mean, I know the plan is big, but I'm not sure how big exactly it is. Uh, is there anything in the plan that says or s- will stop these houses being built from just being turned into Airbnbs? Uh,
13: not, not as far as I'm aware. Um, obviously, uh, that those, those which are designated as uh, community housing or affordable housing or uh, build to rent, um, would not be able to be turned into um, Airbnbs. But um, the mention of short-stay accommodation within this plan is, uh, I believe, a 7.5% levy. Um, without further regulation, I can't imagine this will be doing much good. It's it's not a huge amount for a very profitable business, for a very profitable business that uh takes a huge percent of the profits and uh for doing very little um and uses those homes that can remain empty for so much of the year (laughs) and they're still making more right so um sorry uh could you repeat the question
5: i was just asking you about
13: um if
5: the plan if the plan mentions um, short any... stay accommodation. um yeah, so,
2: yeah
13: sorry yes it's so okay. it does mention short short stay accommodation um and there is a 7.5% levy um the the Renters and Housing Union uh has believes that this is not close to enough to curve this huge problem we need regulation, and we need it a long time ago. Um, hmm. uh, the yeah. the homes should not become businesses, uh, we feel. And, you know, we've all stayed in short-stay accommodation, not begrudging anybody who uses it. Uh, it's the system they live in, so of course they're going to use it. But, um, you know, renting out maybe a... Or, or using one room in a house that's lived in for short stay accommodation rather than an entire house could could make a massive difference the amount of people on waiting lists for homes or the amount of people struggling to find a rental.
5: sure I just want to ask um just one last question um sure. I haven't really seen much discourse i know uh, I know the plan mentions that it's going to kind of um Change how planning for building works.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: What what exactly does that mean?
13: Um, again, uh, there's a lot of vague terms uh, around this plan. Um, Wait, I mean, I'm generally supportive. We are generally supportive of um, raising the uh minimum requirements for building um obviously well it's sort of a just a general belief now that uh new homes aren't built as well as old homes you'll get a home a long time ago that's built a lot better that lasts a lot longer um uh, so I, i would say that that's probably possibly a positive out of it um Although it doesn't, it doesn't go far enough, which is you know the theme of a lot of um, these plans and 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 our governments that are taking a very short term approach to planning. Um, you know they'll say that this uh, this plan goes up to twenty fifty, but it doesn't really add much stock that is needed. Um, so it. it It seems to be more about selling the government and taking pressure off criticism than it does about actually doing anything in the short, medium, and long term. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. Um, No worries. That's everything. Well, can I just say uh, thank you? Uh, and also uh, if you want to get in the fight into the fight for housing justice please join the renters and housing union at that's rahu.org.au that's r a h u.org.au thank you so much
14: See the wrinkles in the backs of your hands They show you've loved the sun with open eyes. See the furrow in your brow It says sometimes you think so much Says sometimes you don't breathe
6: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We're going to be diving into a conversation with James McKenzie from In Your Face. We're going to be diving into a conversation with James Mackenzie from In Your Face, who spoke to Dennis Altman, discussing the voice referendum, its benefits, politics and the impacts on the country and First Nations people. He critiques what the No campaign says about the Liberal Party and how a No result would undo recent gains in Australian foreign policy and diminish the chances of a referendum on Australia becoming a republic over the next decade.
10: You've been an activist in the LGBTIQ space for for decades. What parallels can we draw between the campaign around marriage equality and other campaign around The Voice?
3: Um, You know, two things come to mind straight away. First of all, this is um, the whole country voting on the rights of a particular and historically disenfranchised minority. And I think that Anyone who opposes the voice needs to explain how they can be against something that the majority of Indigenous Australians in poll after poll have been shown to support. Um, The Uluru Statement has very broad Indigenous support, just as the marriage vote had very broad support. But having said that, there is a difference And the difference, I mean, there's obviously constitutional differences. This is a constitutional change, not just a plebiscite. But the thing that strikes me that is so difficult this time is that there are some indigenous people who have been very prominent in opposing the voice. Now, when we had the marriage debate, people like me who were deeply skeptical about marriage still supported the Yes campaign because we understood getting a Yes vote was crucial. Sadly, that isn't the case. I think there are, I'm not going to name them, but I think that on both the left and the right, there are Indigenous leaders who are using their own personal aims and personal ambitions uh, to ignore the will of what the majority of their community want.
10: All that considered, and considering the negativity and the scaremongering by the no campaign, do you think the yes vote will fail?
3: I am... I wish I could be optimistic, James. I can't be. I think that um, one of the sad things that we should have learned by now is that public opinion polls are usually reasonably accurate, and the polls are showing a declining support for the voice. Um, I think it would take something quite extraordinary to swing that around. Um, and I wish I could imagine what that is, but to be honest, I can't.
10: Yes, a poll I read this week had 54 no, 46 yes. Going into kind of an election campaign to draw that parallel, that would be very hard to make up that gap.
3: Very hard. Look, I think that what might happen, and the one place where one can be perhaps slightly optimistic, is that a number of people who are unsure will either not bother to vote Or will turn up and effectively cast uh, an abstention, which would just mean they'll turn up, cross their name off the roll and put in a blank ballot paper. I think that is possible.
10: Dennis, why is the voice so important?
3: Look, I think that we have waited a very long time, much longer than other colonial societies, to actually make some real attempt to reckon with the reality of the dispossession of the original inhabitants of the country. Um, This is something that has been developed now over a long period of time that culminated uh, a few years ago in the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which is a quite remarkable document and which people who are hesitating should read before they start telling us how terrible the voice is um it's a i think the sad thing to me is that the possibility of losing this means that we are going to undo a long period in which a large number of people both indigenous and non-indigenous have struggled to find a meaningful way of accepting australia's history um and We've been given an opportunity, I think the Prime Minister is quite right, when he says this is a gracious invitation from the original inhabitants of Australia uh, to come to terms with dispossession and to move forward.
10: Absolutely. What do you make of Peter Dutton saying, oh yeah, there should be a second referendum? I mean, it (laughs) seems a bit rich when you've got him so vehemently opposed to the first. It seems like he's just playing politics.
3: I think that Peter gutton is um yeah he 's all over the place. It makes no sense. I mean first of all uh, he's basically saying we 'll have a referendum. That acknowledges there is a problem, but we won't put anything in the Constitution that might address the problem. Um, It's the height of hypocrisy. But, you know, Peter Dutton has form, and I'm very reluctant to call people racist. I think there are many people who have reservations about The Voice who are probably not racist, But Peter Dutton sadly does have a history that makes one very suspicious. Um, This is the man we would all remember in Melbourne who told us several state elections ago that we were too scared to go out to dinner because of African gangs. Now, James, I don't think either you or I changed our dinner plans because of our fear of African gangs. And it's worth remembering that before we take anything Peter Dutton says on The Voice too seriously.
10: Do you think his motivation is all about weakening the Prime Minister's authority? If the voice fails, it's a diminished Anthony Albanese um, and therefore that, in Peter Dutton's eyes, gives him more likelihood of a win at the next election or, you know, a reduced uh, government's uh, capacity, numbers?
3: Um, I think it's a reflection of the centre of gravity in the coalition. Remember, Peter Dutton comes from Queensland and before the... The Liberal Party took a position. The Nationals had already come out against the voice. And, of course, in Queensland, the Liberals and Nationals sit together in this rather strange alliance. Um, The Liberal Party now is a far more conservative party than it was under previous leaders, Um, mainly, of course, because the great majority of urban seats in Australia are now held either by Labor or by independents. And so I think Dutton is both reflecting his own personal views. I think in that sense, you know, you could be nasty and sincere, and he may well be nasty and sincere, unlike Scott Morrison, I think was always nasty and insincere. But I think he's also measuring up what his party room is telling him. And... We only know of three or four uh, members of the Federal Liberal Party who are prepared to publicly say they support the voice. Uh, One of whom, of course, very nobly, Julian Lester, stepped down from the shadow cabinet, so he could make that statement.
10: What are your thoughts on the consequences for the country if the voice fails? I mean, Marcia Langdon's talked about how it would, you know, open the floodgates for, I guess, you know, derogatory comments to, to, to thrive and undermining of indigenous activism in a progressive space. Um, and that we will see a decline in the public discourse on indigenous issues in Australia. It'll be, you know, a, a, an invitation for racists to be more outspoken. Um, do you share that view?
3: I certainly feel Marcia's pain. And I think, you know, it, uh, I, I read the reports of her speech and clearly uh, it was showing huge stress. And I understand that. And I, th- I would just ask listeners who are queer to imagine what it would have been like if the marriage vote had failed. Um I do want to say, by the way, James, there are a couple of people on my Facebook who identify as queer who are opposing the voice. And I just hope that some of them are listening and that they actually think what they would have felt like if that plebiscite had come out with a no. Um, I think Marcia's... I don't know. I think it will probably lead to a rise in radical Indigenous feeling. I think there will be a lot of young Indigenous Australians who will not unsurprisingly say, the system has so failed us, we have to turn to alternative means. I think also, and I don't know that she did talk about this, um, but Julie Bishop, the former Foreign Minister and a Liberal, has talked about this. The impact on Australia's standing globally will be enormous. A no vote will undo a year's work by the Albanese government to repair relations in the Pacific and Southeast Asia. Uh, And the fact that the Liberal spokesman on foreign policy, Simon Birmingham, that although he clearly is uncomfortable with the position, he's not willing to say so, um, but I'm sure Simon Birmingham actually understands that in terms of foreign policy, a no vote is a disaster.
10: And of course there's impacts there on on economics isn't there like you know it's not good for the economy for Australia's standing to to slip as well as all of the you know potential gains that would be lost because the voices failed and you know I mean you talked before about bridging the gap lower life expectancy poorer mental health and physical health outcomes for indigenous communities the economic cost of that is huge
3: um then that's much harder to evaluate. I mean, I think we have to be honest and say we have no way of knowing how effective the voice will be. Um, I think that most of us feel it is clearly preferable to have people involved in making the decisions that affect them and their community. And that's essentially all the voice is asking for. But we can't give dollar figures to this. We can't know how effective or how fast the voice could be, um, in that sense, I'd be be more wary. I think what we can be sure of is that the demoralisation, both in the Indigenous community, but also among the millions of Australians who are out there pushing for a yes vote, that demoralisation, I think, will be very hard to live with. And I think that will have consequences that... Yeah, almost impossible to calculate. Uh, this is a really significant vote. I mean, it's a much more meaningful vote for most of us um, than the marriage vote was, let's be honest. Um, nobody's life was going to be fundamentally changed by being legally able to marry. I know people will get angry if I say that, but I'm trying to draw the contrast between the consequences of, as you say, the in- an incredible gap between indigenous and the rest of australia to get people to understand just how important this issue is
10: what should the albanese government do if the voice fails i mean obviously they can still have an advisory body it just won't be in the constitution
3: uh, yes but i think that they would be very cautious i mean i think they have quite correctly said they can they want to follow the spirit of the Uluru Statement. And I would be surprised if they rush into legislation. Um, what they may do, and look, I have no way of knowing this. I, I assume that there is planning going on. and One hopes they have a plan B. Um, I would imagine they would come back uh, with some set of recommendations uh, which they would take to the next election. Um, I'd also say, of course, that if The Voice fails, that probably ends the debate about Australia becoming a republic for the next decade or so. Uh, No government, whatever their personal beliefs are, is going to risk another referendum in the near future if this one fails. So anyone out there who would like to see a change, who, who has doubts about whether Charles III should be the legitimate head of state of Australia, um, should realise that it's much less likely that we'll change that if the voice vote goes down.
10: And I wonder how much of that is is motivating Peter Dutton, you know, to what extent is the voice, you know, a proxy war over the Republic?
3: I don't think it is. Look, I think what's happening with Peter Dutton is just a reflection of what's happened to the Liberal Party. Um, And... Peter Dutton, I think, um, reflects, and this is very unfortunate, but I think he reflects the majority feeling within his party. I think it's telling that John Pesuto, the Liberal leader in Victoria, who until now has tried to position himself as a moderate and, of course, uh, was willing to take a lot of flack in standing up for trans people in Victoria. I think it's very interesting that he's come out now in favour of no. And I can only assume he's done that because he can read the feeling in a party that is becoming increasingly uh, right-wing, reactionary and unrepresentative of the majority of the country. So I, I think that Dutton, as I said before, I think there's an element in which he probably genuinely um, believes uh, has doubts, and I think there's also a large element of political pragmatism, which doesn't surprise me, for from a liberal politician from Queensland. So this liberal is... no longer means progressive in any sense, unfortunately.
10: It's pretty, you know, it's 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 terrible, isn't it, that their own culture war within the Liberal Party, you know, um, is being used uh, on such an important issue for Indigenous Australians and for the country as a whole.
3: Well, uh, Maurice Payne, the former Foreign Minister, has today announced her retirement from the Senate. Now, I am hoping, but not with, a, with much optimism, that Maurice Payne will use the opportunity to say she's standing down and she supports the voice. I mean, the only thing really that will change the political equation is for more people on the conservative side of politics, Uh, people like that wonderful... The only Liberal I can admire at the moment, I think, in Australia, uh, Bridget Archer, the independently-minded Liberal member for BASS in Tasmania, Uh, has come out in favour of the voice. Uh, A couple of other Liberal backbenchers have come out in favour of the voice. Um, I would, you know, I still have this vague hope that Maurice Payne's resignation from the Senate may mean that she is about to do the same thing. um, And maybe that will give courage to a couple of others Uh, And that in turn could start to swing some of the doubtful votes around, although I'm not all that optimistic of it.
6: And that was James McKenzie from In Your Face speaking to Denise Altman, who is a gay rights activist and also an Australian academic, speaking about the voice, voice referendum and its benefits, politics and impacts on the country and First Nations people. He critiques what the No campaign says about the Liberal Party and how No results would undo recent gains in Australian foreign policy and diminish the chances of a referendum on Australia, becoming a republic over the next decade. You can catch In Your Face on every Friday from 4 to 5pm, which discusses and explores LGBTQ, LGBTIQA plus issues with interviews, music and commentary. And there will be a National Day of Action on this this Saturday, 7th of October, which is about soft black deaths in custody. It's happening at 1pm. For those in Melbourne, it will be at the State Library. And for those at Perth, Burlu, there'll be Hyde Park at Gardigal There'll be also at Hyde Park. And for those in Mijin, that will be King George Square. And for those at Corner Adelaide, which that will be at Victoria Square. Yep. So you just remember it's at 1pm Saturday. this Saturday, seven October. It's a National Day of Action. For those in Melbourne, it will be happening at State Library. Hey,
11: you all out there? Let's join the National Day of Action to stop black deaths in custody. 1pm Saturday the 7th of October at the State Library of Victoria. We need to implement the recommendations from the 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody now.
9: You say you
0: respect country and you believe in black justice then you turn up because we have an opportunity on the 7th of October to push this government to implement recommendations that will keep our people alive.
11: For more information, go to blacksovereignmovement.com That's P-L-A-K-sovereignmovement.com Black Sovereign Movement is a 3CR supporter.
4: That's, survival,
2: that's what I
5: say is this what we to go through Welcome back to Monday breakfast on three c r eight five five a m That was a good interview yeah it was that really was a good
6: interview everyone Cheers it was awesome stuff, and what and I guess now what will we be looking forward to the weekend everyone
4: yeah not much on not much on for my week. I'll be uh, diving into a bit of PhD work for the first time in a long time. I've taken the year Mm. off. Now I'm starting to get a little bit... Oh, I want to read that. I want to write a bit about that. The juices are starting to flow again, which is lovely. Mm. Other than that, just trying to avoid people who barrack for Collingwood, I think, will be what I do this week. Not an easy task. If I see a flag, I'm getting out of there. (laughs) I want
6: to hear about it. I think, well, who knows? Maybe I really died down because, you know, mm-hmm. AFL passed. But yeah. Uh, uh, for me, I guess it's about the same thing, James. I'm also just going through my assignments for the week. I'm Woo. really going to start getting very busy for this whole month because, yeah, the last month of my yes. uni life. Uh, it's crazy. Almost but yeah, there. Almost, <laughs> Almost done. done. And, then, exciting, and then, the life of employment. The life of employment. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Lots to look <laughs> forward to. A
5: full void of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or potentially something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't know
4: what's in the void, because we can't see what's in the void. Yeah. So there might be something in there. Might be. Uh,
5: you never know. Yeah. What about I, you, Yeah, uh, I uh, don't really have much planned at all, really. I'm just hoping to stay out of the rain. You know, there's mm-hmm. meant to be a lot of rain, maybe tomorrow and a little bit on Wednesday as well. Pretty much, actually, all throughout the week. Ooh. So hoping to, yeah, really just stay out of the rain and probably we will just be reading, reading my books, listening to music, mm-hmm. just vibing. Yeah. yeah. It'll That's be very
6: you know. cool as well when it rains. Mm. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. S- I'm going to get my jackets out
4: again. So we get a beautiful weekend of sun... And
6: then, bang, here's some rain. <laughs> <top that. laughs>
5: a lot of rain, too. Good well,
4: thing
6: Good thing it was summer. Good thing it was very warm during the AFL, so that's good.
4: Yeah, we haven't had a grand final that hot in such a long time. Mm. And you can go, what a great day, but then in the back of your mind, it's also a little bit of climate change. <laughs> coming, and you go, oh, I, should I enjoy this? You know, the eternal struggle. The eternal struggle. So you've been listening to Monday Breakfast here on 855 AM 3CR. This has been James, Rob and Grace. Been taking you through the the week, doing a whole bunch of stuff. We're on every Monday, 7 AM to 8.30. And coming up next, we've got the always amazing show, Women on the Line. So stay tuned, stay radical, have a great week. Any last words, gang? No last words? (laughs) Take it nice and easy out there.
1: 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.